Welcome to the Commons Cast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you find something meaningful in our teaching this week. Head to commons.church for more information. We're super excited about what's ahead for us, and if you look at your journal today, you can see that next week we're going to be going back into Romans for a few weeks, and those of you who have been around Commons for a while, you know that this is year four coming up for us in this long extended conversation we're having about this long letter that Paul wrote, and yes, there's some big ideas there to consider, but... Romans is also really interesting because there's this compelling energy at the heart of it. Because Paul was really the first person to do Christian theology. He was sorting out who Jesus was and why Jesus mattered and how he was supposed to live as a result of that. Which is all really that theology is. Which means that you and I can do it too. And at any rate, we're going to get through a few more chapters in Romans, position ourselves to finish it up next year, and I'm excited for the things that we're going to learn together in the next few weeks. I'm also pumped because right after Romans, we're going to head into Lent, which is this this season of preparation for Easter. And this year, we're actually going to be looking at some parables of Jesus, this group of stories that might be familiar for some of us, but I think they're going to expand our imagination in new ways, which is going to be a lot of fun. And of course, there's always so much going on at Commons beyond our gatherings on Sundays, and make sure you check out commons.life for other learning opportunities. There's some stuff coming up that we're really excited about, chances to get involved. Make sure you look at all of that. Which brings us to today and this final week in our friendship conversation. And it's been really encouraging to hear from so many of you how timely this series has been, because we always want our teaching to land somewhere where you live, telling the story of Jesus in a way that helps you move forward with courage, but with something as intrinsic to life as our friendships, it's still been awesome to hear about the ways these ideas have been challenging you and stretching you and bringing life to you from thinking about how our friends can be a source of renewal and resurrection in our lives, which is why we need friendships, to being challenged to consider ideas like vulnerability and being pushed into it by our relationships and learning how to practice vulnerability well. And then last week, we had John with us, and he looked at this practice of forgiveness. And again, we dug into the story of Jesus and his friendship with this guy named Peter, and we pulled out this episode from the end of Jesus' life. He'd been arrested, he'd been interrogated by the authorities, and while he was outside in the courtyard, Peter's trying to stay close enough to hear what's happening inside. But then people start to notice Peter. And they pick up on his accent and they start saying things to him like, hey, you're that guy who was with Jesus, right? And Peter is Jesus' friend for sure. He's followed him, he's stuck with him, that's why he's there. But in that moment, he totally freezes. And where before he'd been totally committed to being with Jesus, being seen with Jesus, here he totally bails. And three times he ends up saying something to the effect of, I never knew that guy. Could you stop asking me about him? And Luke's gospel tells the story in this really interesting way where Jesus happens to be right outside as, or he happens to be brought outside just as Peter says these things about their friendship. And he's standing in the back of this Rembrandt painting that we looked at last week. And you can't really see him there, but he's there in the dark. 
And there's this horrifically awkward moment in the scene where Jesus looks across and Peter sees him and then realizes that Jesus just heard him say all that stuff about not being friends. And this is a similar device that we use in our sitcoms and our films, right? Where one character discovers how their friend isn't who they said they were. Kicking them to the curb in this moment of social pressure. And I suspect that some of us have had this experience in one way or another. And this time, John does a great job of naming it for us, how Jesus' friendships placed him in places like we find ourselves, where he was wounded just like we are. And something worth reflecting on is where this story, where, where, where the story, where it comes from. Because there's no other familiar characters around to observe Peter's denying Jesus or the aftermath of the story, leading some scholars to speculate that we come to know this story at some point because Peter became brave enough to talk about it. Brave enough to talk about the ways that he had betrayed his friendship with Jesus. Brave enough to share this dark moment in his life. One that he clearly recovered from at some point because he felt that Jesus forgave him. Maybe Jesus forgave him in that look across the courtyard. Maybe Jesus forgave him in his prayer on the cross. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Making this another moment of friendship that becomes part of the story that we tell about the divine. And as a community, we have talked about forgiveness before. We've talked about how it isn't easy. But part of what this story helps us to see is that our closest friendships will demand forgiveness from us. Both in forgiving someone else, or in owning the ways that we hurt the people who matter to us. We're forgiving small slights and careless words. These things help us to develop the resilience to forgive when people don't just fail us, but when they leave and they betray and they injure us. Showing us that if we are going to tell any meaningful story about friendship, we're going to have to talk about forgiveness at some point. Now, Today, we are going to take one more story about Peter and Jesus, and we're going to look at one where Jesus specifically leans in to repair the damage that Peter caused. But before we do that, let's pray together and center ourselves. Join me now. God, creator, renewer, and the one who is close to us, guide us now we ask where we need direction. Would you come and be light today? And where we feel lost, perhaps, come and show us a hopeful way. Where we're searching, come and bring peace. We are so grateful for the nearness of community that we experience even in these moments for the ways that we see grace clearly as we learn to welcome and love each other and as we share the work of worship and justice. We ask, would you stir these ancient words and our fragile hearts, bringing all to life, we ask. Amen. All right, well, today I want to start with a question, and to ask it, I need to fill you in on something. For those of you who don't know, our family has a dog, and his name is Leo, and actually I call him lots of names, but that's a different topic. And anyway, we, we need, or we've had Leo for about four years, and he's super friendly, he's super needy, and he is super active, which means that he requires lots of exercise and affection every day, and that's why about a third of my Instagram photos involve us walking somewhere in town. 
And one of the perks of owning a dog is that at some point, somebody fills you in on this website called dogshaming.com. And if you don't know about this, if you don't own a dog, this is just free today. You can just take it as a perk for your leisure web surfing this week. But if you own a dog, this is either an invitation towards health and therapy, or you already know about it. You know that you are not alone. The basic gist is this, that people post pictures of offenses that their dogs have committed. Often, then, the dog is wearing this humorous handwritten sign along with the details, and I can't tell you how often Dar and I have just sat and scrolled and laughed because we get it. Our dog causes us grief sometimes just being himself, just being our best friend, as they say. And there's this particular joy, and I think it might be a little bit sadistic, when we see what other people are going through. And let me give you a couple of examples. This first one, this is a little guy who's wearing a sign that was left by an Amazon delivery guy who apparently had been attacked repeatedly, which makes a lot of sense. The dog was probably just doing his job, guarding the place, and so his parents took a photo of him. But guess what? It gets worse. Like this guy who chewed through an antique door, and it was not sorry, clearly, or in the next one, we can see this puppy who destroyed his family's couch. Actually, there's lots of photos like this, and I don't know about you, but I can't imagine coming home to something like that. Anyway, this is a super common one as well, a dog who's like torn his own bed apart. And then finally, there's this dog who's torn a doggy door for himself <laughs> through the trailer while his family was away at lunch, <laughs> which is crazy and pretty bad. <laughs> and, pretty bad. and my question's pretty simple. Why do we call monsters like this our best friends? <laughs> when, we, when they do things like this over and over and over again without remorse, as their owners like to point out. And of course, I'm joking a bit about it, but the point is that some of what we need to discuss today addresses this same question. Yes, our meaningful friendships help us to be better versions of ourselves. And part of what our friendships with humans will do is they leave us with the question, okay, but what do I do with the unhealthy people in my life? Am I just supposed to be vulnerable and forgive regardless of how they act when they keep hurting me? Can I call those people my friends? Because here's the deal, even our dog, our dog Leo, he's wrecked more beds than I can count. And we have tried different strategies to keep him happy and anxiety-free, and we've tried different products, we've even tried those ones that are branded indestructible. But we have come to a place where we are not going to spend another penny on comfy bedding for our canine friend, because you got to draw the line somewhere, which is how we need to end the series today. Thinking about how we love people well, even as we gently unfriend them or keep them at a safe distance. So back to the story of Jesus, where we've found some references to friendship over the last few weeks. Again, we've been talking about his connection to Peter. And last week, Peter failed Jesus at a crucial moment. And right after that story that we looked at, Jesus dies and is buried, and then in this great reversal, he appears to his friends raised from the dead. And there are a bunch of things that happen in those heady days after Jesus re reappears. And one of them is that Jesus' disciples, they went back north, out of Jerusalem. They go north several miles. They go back to their homes, and they're out on the lake fishing. And then they realize that Jesus is sitting on the beach, so they head in. And the text tells us that when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with some fish on it and some bread. 
And Jesus came and he took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And when they had finished eating together, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. And Peter, or Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time, Jesus said to him again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me, he said. And Peter responded, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, a couple things in this story. The first being that scholars like to point out that Jesus has a charcoal fire going on the beach. And the terminology for that kind of fire, for this cooking fire that Jesus is using, it's the same term used in John 12 to describe the fire that Peter was warming himself beside when he betrayed Jesus as his friend. And whether the terms that are being used there are a giveaway, there does seem to be something restorative happening in this story that we just read. Jesus has made a trip north, he's got up early, he's cooked a meal for his friends. And if nothing else, it feels like Jesus came here so that this conversation could happen, which is probably where some of us need to start in some of our friendships. And again, here today, I'm going to talk a little bit about the work of Brené Brown, who we talked about a couple weeks ago and her research on vulnerability. And just a few days ago, I was listening to an interview that she did with Krista Tippett about a year ago. And in that conversation, Brown talks about this concept that she's written about in a few places. The idea that people are hard to hate when we get up close to them. And that we need to move in toward each other even when it's hard which is this really pointed challenge for us in our friendships, I think. I mean, I'm sure that you have had somebody that you thought was normal in your life. They thought like you, they shared your interests, and then that person posts something completely ludicrous on social media. Or maybe you have an experience with them, a mistake, or you share an experience with them. You share with them a mistake you've made or a difficulty that you are facing. And then they just start giving you advice that felt foreign and out of place, like they had no idea who you actually are and what matters to you. Sometimes friends will say things that offend our sensibilities. And sometimes we just cannot believe that someone we care about could think like that or act like that. And some of what we have to recognize in our friendships is that they are an ideal place for our loneliness and our anxiety to be addressed. The catch is that this sometimes happens in direct correlation to us learning how to care for and love and share life with someone who thinks differently than us. And and guess what? Leaning in isn't always what we want to do when this happens. Unlike Jesus with Peter here, we really struggle to go out of our way to meet up and to make space for and to start a conversation with these people in our lives. And part of what undermines our friendships then isn't that person's comment or that person's opinion or their perspective. It's the distance that we allow to keep us from understanding who they really are. And Brown's research is so good because she suggests that most of us have relationships like this. 
Connections that have the potential to blossom into meaningful friendships precisely at the points of contact where we choose to try and understand what makes a person different than us. And that does not mean that we tolerate abuse, doesn't mean that we tolerate hurtful language, or that we have to stay in conversations with someone who doesn't respect our human experience or our story. But short of that, Brown contends, maybe we should lean in. And I was thinking the other day of that one of the simplest ways that we could try to do this with someone, and I'm not talking about strangers, and I'm not talking about trolls online, but maybe that coworker of yours that has opinions, or your friend who shuts down every time you start trying to talk about a political issue here in Calgary, or an acquaintance that gets heated when a certain issue comes into that group of friends, maybe we could offer them the gift of assuming that there's almost always more to the story behind the outrage and the intensity and the silence that push us away from each other. And maybe we could gently create conversations where, yes, disagreement might happen, but where you and I walk away with a new appreciation for why that person hurts, or why they rage, or why they need justice, or why they can't seem to see things any other way than they do. And maybe, with care, we can share why we are the same way sometimes. And in doing this, we may discover that the potential in some friendships lies in the things that drive us away from that person and commit to lean into them. It's as simple as maybe sending an email or grabbing some coffee or asking a question instead of writing somebody off. So maybe we can try that together. Now, the other thing worth noting is how Jesus addresses Peter in these verses, because this is the only place in all the Gospels where Jesus refers to Peter being anybody's son. And there are some theories as to why this is, but I think that what's more pressing for us is to use this lens of friendship that we've been trying to do for the last few weeks. Because if we do, this isn't some cryptic story in which Jesus is interrogating Peter. And this isn't a story about sheep, and it's not a story about Jesus choosing Peter to lead the church when he's gone. No, this is a story of two men, where biographical details like Peter's father's name, these are in the margins for us as readers as hints of the connection that these two people share in the story. Let me give you some background, because see, in Luke's gospel, we hear this story of how Peter and his brother Andrew, they were fishermen before they knew Jesus, on this same lake where they're standing now. And one day, Jesus shows up and borrows Peter's boat to preach from. And when he finishes preaching, he tells Peter, hey, let's push off into the deep water and catch some fish. And it's not hard to imagine Peter saying, dude, quit bossing me around. And if you're hungry, go catch your own fish. I worked all last night and didn't catch anything. And the story goes that Peter begrudgingly goes along with this plan, and they catch more fish than they can hold in the boat. It's this huge financial landfall, and in the aftermath, it's really interesting because Peter seems to be realizing that Jesus wants him to become a disciple. And he's overwhelmed with all the fish, but there's this curious element to the story where it seems like Jesus, that Peter can't handle the way that Jesus is leaning in towards him. And he actually tells Jesus at one point, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And in that moment, Peter is so vulnerable and known. 
And he isn't sure that that's what he wants from Jesus. And like a good friend, Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. And ultimately they go on into the story together where we learn a little bit later in the Gospel of Mark that Peter's mother-in-law gets sick at one point. And after Sabbath prayers one day, Jesus goes to Peter's house and he heals her. And that's just one of many stories. We've looked at a couple of others where we see these two men engaged in life together. These biographical details that we find in the margins, they're there to remind us that this little meeting on the beach isn't between a couple of colleagues that just need to make good on a quick misunderstanding. No, this is a friendship with some history. And there are some layers to the way that Jesus and Peter have cared for each other in the past few years. Jesus has brought in a haul of fish for his tired and fed up laborer friend. And Peter has promised his teacher friend with so much potential that he won't ever leave him. He won't ever, if it gets rough, even if he has to die, which is a reminder for us where some of us are in the friendships that we have that go back a ways, in friendships that have been around for a while. It's this reminder to do the work that inevitably, even the strongest bonds that we have with someone, they might actually get strained. Maybe our situations change and we can't stay in touch the way we did with someone. Or maybe someone we love makes some choices that change their values and that makes it really hard to care for them. It's in these kinds of friendships, these things expose fear in us that needs to be let go sometimes. This fear we have of letting somebody down that we've known for a long time, even when we aren't really connected to them anymore. Or this fear of not being a good friend, of being weak, of not being able to carry the load, even when those people don't need or even want our friendship anymore. It's these long-term friendships that call us to do the work of speaking the truth and being civil about it. At their best, this maybe happens when someone sees and names the gift and the potential that we have and we've struggled to accept it for ourselves or when we help a friend to see that they're making poor choices and they are able to hear us. But sometimes doing this work is hard. Like when we have to graciously recognize the end that a friendship has come to. And we have to name that with care instead of choosing to avoid that person. Or when we have to be careful with our words when someone tells us something they see in us not to help us, but to tear us down. In any case, it's important to see that this moment in the beach is marked by that kind of journey. And Jesus didn't know how it was going to play. He didn't know how Peter was going to react to him saying these things. But he offers us a model for how to care for those that we have loved for a long time, choosing to do the courageous work of truthful friendship. Now, One of the things that I love about Brené Brown's work and how it fits in with all of this is how she uses the feedback in her contemporary research with people to spark new questions and insights. Because she gets this question all the time, which maybe some of you have been already thinking of as you sit there. How do I know, though, when someone's going to be a good friend? How do I know when somebody's safe? How do I know when to be vulnerable? How do I know when to let a friendship go or when I need to assert some boundaries? And Brown is super clear. There is no foolproof signal 
There's no email notification that you have friended somebody who's toxic. Because healthy and vulnerable friendships are slow building, and they are a layered process that we build with both us and our friends, our loved ones, making mistakes along the way, most of the time. Which is fine, I think most of us can recognize that, but surely there's some basics. And I think maybe there is, if we look at Jesus again. Because there's this curious phrasing that Jesus uses in some teaching in the Gospel of Luke where he's talking to the crowd about the kingdom that he has come to start. And rather paradoxically, there's this one place where he tells the people listening that they need to take care of those who are opposing them. And then he tells his friends this. He says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. And we've actually talked about this passage before at Commons and how this really, it might actually serve as a helpful model for relationships. Certainly, how we figure out who our friends are. Because like we talked about a couple weeks ago, sometimes the people who are our friends or the people who claim to be our friends, they end up resisting us as we stretch into who we're becoming. And they can antagonize us when we don't conform to their vision of who we are. And here in Luke 6, Jesus says this, okay, well, when someone seems to be having a hard time with you, when they're angry with you, when they hate who you're becoming, when they don't like what you're doing or the choices you're making, lean in, do good to them. And maybe that means we persist in friendship. Maybe we reach out if we can. Maybe we send a note. We try to do something for that person. But then there's this interesting change in the spatial language where Jesus says, if someone curses you then, they talk behind your back, they make false accusations. Maybe they always talk down to you or they willfully hurt you with their words and they do not apologize. Jesus says, take a step back and bless them. Wish them well. Don't return your anger to their pain. Maybe smile as you pass them or be generous. Donate to a cause that they're raising money for. Give them an opportunity to step towards health and mutuality if they can. And then Jesus says, finally, those who mistreat you, those who turn their back on you, those who are violent or manipulative or harsh, those who refuse to acknowledge that they've hurt you even when you tell them that they are, Take a step back and pray for them. Commit them to God's, to his grace and to his care, knowing that you can't be safe and be everybody's friend. And this kind of rhythm that Jesus, this is the kind of rhythm that Jesus is modeling in his conversation with Peter here, where he comes to him three times and asks straight up, Peter, do you love me? And the truth is, we ask the same question when we use boundaries with our friends. When we step back and we still choose to care and speak well of someone, or maybe we take another step back and we seek someone's best. And when we respect ourselves and the image of God in us enough to give people the opportunity to love us in the ways that they can from where they are. Where like Jesus... 
we choose to not shame another person. Jesus doesn't rehash Peter's failure in this conversation, but instead Jesus initiates. And when Peter expresses remorse and intention to love in return, Jesus asks him again and again. And maybe for you in this series, you have found several people coming to mind. Maybe those you need to lean into, those you need to apologize to. Maybe there's some people that you need to take steps of vulnerability with in new ways. Or maybe there's a particular friendship that's surfaced for you as we've been talking about these things. Where you need to take these steps that Jesus models here. And in doing so, if you find that's your way of living, you are going to make your way all the way back full circle to week one in the series where we admitted to ourselves that we do pick our friends. And maybe you're in a friendship that's marked by blame or disrespect and betrayal, and it's damaging the roots of your life that you need to survive. And today, all you need to hear is that True friendship and true love can only survive those injuries if they are acknowledged and healed and rare. Or maybe this conversation just makes you want to be a better friend. That's great too. Whatever the case, I hope that you can find grace to lean in and honor the histories that you have with people that have been in your story for a long time and welcoming those who you are becoming friends with in just these days. But then too, may you find clarity to know how vulnerable and valuable you are and find strength to do the work of telling the truth and courage to ask, do you love me well? Knowing that the best friendships are the ones that make us more alive day by day. Let's pray. God, help us in this adventure of discovering and choosing friendship. This practice that's so vital and so beautiful and so challenging for us. Some of us have experienced it as a source of renewal and of your grace in our lives. We're thankful for that. And some of us maybe have wounds from failed or broken connections that come to the surface as we talk about these things. Some of us may actually be in a really difficult scenario right now. Others, maybe we have new discoveries of friendships in our lives and we're thankful for all these things and we ask you to be near in them all. We ask for your grace to follow your example as you lived with Peter, leaning, leaning into him, repeatedly sticking with those that loved you and tried to love you giving room to people to become and naming the beauty that they bring to our lives even as we grow with them. And we ask too, would you give us strength to do the work, taking our time with friendships, patiently choosing courage and vulnerability when we can and setting up boundaries as we learn to love well, learning ultimately to grow in friendship, because it really is one of the ways that you are making all things new, even our broken hearts. We ask these things in the name of Christ, our hope. Amen.